Well, good morning, everyone. How are we today? So good. Sounds so good. My name is Ryan. For those who are new or visiting, I'm the lead pastor here. So good to see all of you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and get those out. We are continuing on in our series in James. We'll be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3, 1 through 12. But before we jump into our passage today, just want to share a little fact with all of you that I'm sure many of you are already really deeply acquainted with, and it's the reality that we as people talk a lot right? We are a communicative bunch. We talk a lot. The average person, and this isn't even the talkative person, the average person supposedly speaks 700 times a day. 700 times a day. And if some of you are like, that is just like way too many times, there is no way on earth I am talking that many times in a day. Even if you were to drop that number all the way down to 100, What else do you do 100 times a day? That's still a lot. Other studies show that the average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. One-fifth of your life. If you were to take all of your words from one day, they would fill a book numbering 50 pages long. In an entire year, that's 132 books of 200 pages each in one year. And I know some of you are like, no, no, for me, you don't get it. I'm like a 10 book a decade kind of person, like one book a year. But others of you, others are like, I am like an Encyclopedia Britannica per week kind of person. And for those who don't know what the Encyclopedia Britannica is, it's what older people used before Wikipedia and Google. The point of sharing all of that with you is this. Um, We are just a people that are constantly talking. We're talking and we're using our words and part of this is by design. We are a communicative people designed by a God who himself communicates. We are designed in his image. We talk a lot on average. We spend one-fifth of our lives with our mouths open and and I say that again to say that's a lot of opportunity for us to, to use our words for good things and beautiful things and things to build people up but it's also a lot of opportunity to use our words to tear others down, to break other people apart, to use those words in destructive ways. And so it shouldn't surprise any of us in this room today or those of us that are watching online uh, that God's word has a lot to say about our words and about our speech Over a hundred times we see the Bible talk about our words, talk about our speech, especially in the book of Proverbs. And here's just a little sampling of what we see in Proverbs. Proverbs 10.8 says that the wise person accepts instruction, but the one who speaks foolishness will come to ruin. Proverbs 10.18 warns us against gossip. It says the one who conceals hatred utters lies, and the one who spreads slander is certainly a fool. Proverbs 12.19 speaks to the way we use our words to deceive others. In other words, how we use our words to lie. It says the one who tells the truth will endure forever, but the one who lies will only last for a moment. And on and on, Proverbs and the scriptures go, and we, we see this in, in the letter that that we're looking at. And in James, not only are we going to see this, like a deep dive into this in the 12 verses that we're looking at today, already two times, James has addressed our speech, the words that we use in James 1.19. He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. 
Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And just a few verses later in verse 26, he wrote, if someone thinks he is religious, that is, he thinks he is a authentic follower of Jesus and yet does not bridle his tongue and so deceives his heart, his religion, his followership, his apprenticeship to Jesus is futile, it is pointless, it is worthless. And so hear this, God cares about how we use our words because our words are powerful. God cares about the things we say and the texts we write, the pictures we post, any way we communicate because the way we speak our words are powerful. They're powerful. We see this in our passage today, James 3. And so what we're gonna see, just a quick overview of what we're gonna see in this passage today is we are going to see three truths about our tongue, about our words. And sometimes you can use them to scream like that. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's like you just, you just gotta let it out, right? We can use our words. We're gonna see three things. And then at the end, we're gonna talk through what, if anything, we can do about our words, about our speech. So look at verse one. Verse one, James writes this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. For we all stumble in many ways. And if someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual, able to control the entire body as well. And so here's the first thing that we see that's true about our words. Our words are powerful. Simply put, our words are powerful. Now, James, as we've seen so far in the first couple chapters of this letter, James is like the king of getting after difficult subjects. Like, I don't know if you're in this spot yet, but every single Sunday, like, I'm approaching a passage, and I'm like, James, just go a little easier on us this week. He's like the king of of going at the difficult subject. And and when you're approaching difficult subjects, there's usually a few different ways that you can go about doing that. And one of the ways that you can do that is just go straight for the jugular and just attack the subject. And we've seen James do this a lot so far in chapter two at the very beginning when he's talking about showing partiality and favoritism. He just kind of goes right for it. But here in chapter three, he kind of takes this roundabout, circuitous way to get there. And he does that by making it appear that the topic that he's addressing is, is this idea of people in the church aspiring to become a teacher. Now, now here's, here's, here's what he's referencing when he's talking about teachers. He's not talking about like school teachers or professors, although I'm sure the teachers in this room should say, do not aspire to do this, right? The weight that you carry. But what James is addressing here, the teacher that he's addressing here, is, is, is someone who's doing kind of what I'm doing here. Uh, teaching God's word with God's people. And he's saying, not many of you should aspire to do that. Why? Because you will be judged more strictly But you see, James isn't talking just about teachers here. What we see in these first couple of verses is that this is roundabout way to get at the topic of our words and our speech. But nonetheless, he starts by addressing this concept of aspiring to become a teacher because they'll be judged more harshly. And why? Well, well, as it pertains to the idea of our words and our tongue and our speech, for teachers in particular, we are judged more strictly because our words have more influence and authority and power, and so we're held to this standard for the things that we say, first of all, and secondly, just by the very nature of our job, we talk more. We talk more. We use more words. 
And then he goes on and he says that this person, oh, he, he, he generalizes it first. He generalizes it, and so he kind of moves it from the people who might aspire to be teachers, and then he says, listen, but we all stumble, all of us, we all stumble, but the person who doesn't stumble in what they say, what does that make that person? That person is a what? A, a perfect individual. Now let me ask all of you this here this morning. How many perfect individuals have you met in your lifetime? Let me answer that for all of you. It's zero. It's, I, I don't care like if you're newly married. I don't care how perfect you think your spouse is. I don't care how perfect you think you are. I don't care how perfect you think Taylor Swift is. No, no one, no one is perfect. And, and, and therefore, every person you've met, Every single person you've met, including yourself, has stumbled, and you've stumbled in what you've said. You've stumbled in using your words, your speech. James says, though, that a person who can control their speech is a perfect individual, because if they can control their speech, they can control their whole body. In other words, what James is saying here is that if you are self-disciplined and controlled enough to control your words, your tongue, then you're certainly self-controlled and disciplined enough to control your whole body. In other words, what James is getting at here is that our words are very powerful. Our words are powerful, really simple. He builds on this argument in verses three through five by giving us a few illustrations here. Let's look there. Now, James writes, and if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we can guide their entire bodies. Look at ships too. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rudder wherever the pilot's inclination directs. And then verse five, kind of the main point here in the beginning. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions, or your translation might say it boasts greatly. It boasts greatly of being able to do great things. And so the two illustrations that James uses here, one, a bridle, a bit, in a horse's mouth, and, and the other thing, a rudder on the bottom of a large ship. So let's, let's talk about horses for a little bit, okay? We talked about birds last week. We'll talk about horses today. We'll keep the animal theme thing going here. James is talking about horses here. Now, I, I grew up in Chicago, okay? And so, so my experience with horses is like pretty minimal. Um, I've maybe been on like three horse rides my entire life. No one, no one sees me and is like confusing me with like a horse guy, okay? I'll just put it that way. No one sees me and is like mistaking me for like a Yellowstone character, you know? Like that's not my vibe. And so when Carrie and I were dating many, many years ago, we were in South Oregon in this rural town where her parents lived and she took me to my very first rodeo. Ever been to a rodeo before? I had never been to a rodeo before. It was a whole new world for me. <laughs> And at the rodeo, they have this, this contest, and I had to do some research to find the name of this contest. It's called a uh, saddle bronc riding contest. Do you know of this? I thought that was called rodeo. Like, oh, that guy is rodeoing right now. Like, that's, that's what he does. And people who are trained and experienced in this, like the professional athletes, like they train really hard. The average person who 
rodeos. Um, they last like eight seconds on the back of that horse. Eight seconds. These are strong, powerful people, but, but that horse is powerful, and after like eight seconds, sometimes shorter, it throws that person off like a rag doll. That's how powerful a horse is. But if you have a horse that is trained with a bit in its mouth, you can take that same powerful animal and someone who's like small, like my nine-year-old daughter who weighs like 60, 70 pounds soaking wet, she can do this on a horse. Check this out. She can do this. She can ride around and steer the horse. She can control the horse, that little girl, because there's a bit in the horse's mouth, can control and maneuver that 900,000 pound animal with ease, with ease. The video I'm not gonna show you is her trying to enter into the saddle bronc contest afterward. That did not go well, that was, that was bad, just kidding. Um, that's what James is getting at here, okay? That's what James is getting at. That's how powerful the tongue is. That's how powerful our words are. It might be a small part of the body, but it has enormous power. Our words are a powerful force. James goes on, uh, second half of verse five, gives us another illustration, but he starts to make a different point with this illustration. Look at the second half of verse five. James writes this, think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of the body. And so not only is the tongue like a bit in a horse's mouth, not only is the tongue uh, like a rudder on the bottom of a ship, the tongue is like a spark. It's like a small fire that can set the, the entire forest on fire. And not only is the tongue like a fire, James kind of throws simile aside and, and he says, no, the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire, and so listen, not only are our words a powerful force, our words are potentially destructive. Our words are potentially destructive. Whether they're spoken to the person, whether they're spoken behind their back, whether they're used online, it, it doesn't matter. When we use our words to rip others apart, to tear them down, our tongue functions like a small fire setting ablaze the course of our entire life. Listen, the tongue is so potentially destructive that the tongue can be lethal. Proverbs 8.21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we might say like, yeah, I get that. There's a wisdom proverb there and I understand that figuratively, but I'm not quite so sure it's just a figurative understanding there. You know, recent studies and reports have shown that, that suicides among adolescents and young adults, that they're increasing at this, this ever alarming rate. You know, it's already the second leading cause among that demographic. And studies have shown that one of the leading reasons for why that is the case is online bullying. They, they, they indicate that, that young adults and adolescents who are bullied in that way are four times more likely to have suicidal thoughts than those who aren't. Our words are powerful. Our words can have destructive impact. Our words contain death and life in them. And so it's no wonder here that in verse five, James says this, how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze. It's a sobering reality. 
our words can do that. All it takes is, is one spark. All it takes is a little bit of gossip. All it takes is one explosion of anger, one biting remark, one little lie, one word, and our whole world is set on fire. And our words don't even have to be intentionally harmful to be destructive. All it takes is just like a little bit of, of, of carelessness. You know, I remember many, many months ago, four or five months ago, it was September 10th, Saturday, September 10th. I remember the day clearly. Our family, we had lived in the area in our home for about a month and we were just kind of like eager to get out and to explore and so one day we were told, go hike Lake Serene. It's beautiful. And so we packed up, we got the snacks, we got the water, we got the car ready, we opened the garage, and I, I, I looked outside and I was like, it's snowing. <laughs> How is it snowing on September 10th? But here's the thing, it wasn't snowing. It was, it was ash. Now, now, I've lived in a lot of places and I've encountered a lot of different weather conditions. I've never experienced that before. But even still, we got in our car and we started to drive down Highway 2 toward Lake Serene. And, and we, we realized about 20, 25 minutes into our drive that we were not going the right direction. Uh, it might have been the parade of cars passing us the other direction. It might have been the, the fact that like the further we got down Highway 2, the more it seemed like we were entering the bowels of Mordor. <laughs> Check out this picture. This is what it looked like outside yeah, you think that was bad. By the time we got like right next to the fire, because we just kept going, <laughs> it was like pitch black and our headlights were on. And I was like, I don't think we're doing this hike today, guys. It is not happening. How did that fire start, though? The best that they can tell is that that fire was, was human-caused. There's no record of any lightning strike during that time. It was probably an accident. It was probably unintentional. But however that accidental fire started, it caused a world of destruction. That fire burned for almost two months long, devastating thousands of acres of forest. James says that our tongue is a fire. Our tongue is a fire and it represents a world of wrongdoing and it can cause so much hurt and pain to those around us, but not just those around us. Our, our, our tongue can inflict hurt and pain and destruction on our very own lives. At the end of verse six, James writes this. He says, our tongue, it pollutes the entire body, like our body, and it sets fire to the course of human existence. You know, James said earlier that pure religion is unstained from the world, and yet here we see that our very tongue is the thing that pollutes our bodies. It affects the entirety of our life from beginning to end and every single step in between. So not only can our words, our tongue, have destructive impact on those around us, it, it can really have destructive impact on us as well. Like just by a show of hands, how many of you have said something so stupid that you regret and you're like, man, that really got me in trouble. Just raise your hands. I, I saw someone back there raise both hands right away like this. <laughs> me, like I've done it so many times. We all have. We all have and it shows just how, how weak we are, how, how weak our flesh is. But worse still, worse still, underneath the weakness of who we are, our flesh, there is something moving and operating and empowering and, 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 and propelling this destructive force forward. And maybe we hear about this, this 
tongue and the power the tongue has, the destructive potential it has, the fire that it is, and, and maybe we're like, um, we're like Billy Joel, we're like, oh, we didn't start the fire, like that wasn't me, but, but someone else did, and, and James, James clues us in, and he, and he tells us who started this fire. At the end of verse six, he says, our tongue is set on fire by hell. It's set on fire by hell. The, the word that James uses there is this Greek word geena, or, or we might read it as gehenna, and the only other time we see this word used in the New Testament, Jesus uses it. Jesus uses this word to describe a place of judgment and condemnation where Satan himself resides and lives. So do you see what James is, is doing here? He's, he's saying that Satan himself, Satan himself works with the evil of our tongues to cause the chaos in our lives and in our communities that he lit the fire. God's word says that Satan is the father of lies. And so what Satan is doing is he is going around with matches and he is lighting bomb after bomb, just enjoying the destructive spectacle that he's causing through human words, through the power of the tongue. Our words are potentially destructive. Our words are powerful. And so we have to be wise, we have to be discerning with the power that our tongue, our words, our speech has. Um, let's keep going, uh, and I'm just gonna say this right now in the middle of this teaching. Um, it just doesn't get any better, okay? I'm just gonna let everyone know that. James just goes like from worse to worse to worse. So verse seven, here we go. He writes, for every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by humankind. But no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's brutal, absolutely brutal. And so not only are our words powerful, not only are they potentially destructive, our words are untamable. Our words are untamable. You know, we think back to the illustration about the horse with the bit in its mouth and a horse is tremendously powerful and it's wild, but, it, but it's tameable with a bit in its mouth. And James goes on to say, he elaborates on that concept and, and he ventures into the entire animal kingdom and he's like, all of these animals, reptiles, birds, sea creatures, they, they, they are all tamed in some way. And we see this. Human beings have this incredible capacity to tame animals. I mean, Siegfried and Roy, they did it with tigers for like a little bit, kind of. Um, eagles are trained to like swoop down into a stadium right at like the crescendo of the national anthem. Snake charmers can, cha can like charm and tame these aggressive, poisonous, venomous snakes. It's amazing. We have this incredible capacity to tame animals, sometimes with our very words. I have this little dog at my house. Her name is Lucy, and I can tell her to sit, and I can tell her to roll over, and most of the time, she listens. Some of the time, she listens, and, and we have this power to do that, but James says we have this incredible power to tame all of these animals, but there is one thing in the world that no human being can tame, and what is it? It's the tongue. It's our words. How is that possible? Is that really even the case for, for most of us? I mean, didn't, didn't like someone's mama raise them right in this room, right? Like some of you have manners and you're kind and you say please and thank you and you're nice, but, but, but God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that we can cage our tongues for a little bit, but we ultimately can't tame them. That we, can, that we can try to subdue it for a little bit, but we, we can't remove the wildness from our, from our tongue. 
We can try to defang our tongue, but we can't remove the venomous poison inside. As James writes, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The Bible translator J.B. Phillips, he um, uh, expands on this idea of what restless means and he says that it means that the tongue is always liable to break out. It's just always ready. It's just kind of crouching down and it's pouncing and it's waiting for all hell to break loose. One bad look from someone, right? One piece of gossip that we just can't keep in. One, one little outburst of anger in a moment of exhausted frustration. One thoughtless word just slipping through the filter. We've all been there. We all know it. We've all experienced it. It's a restless evil. What we can do with just about every single animal in the world, James says, none of us can do it with our tongue. We can't. And then he goes on. He says there's another problem. Verse nine, with it, With it we bless the Lord and Father and with it we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. A spring does not pour out fresh water and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a vine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring produce fresh water. And, and so, so in other words, our tongue, this powerful, potentially destructive, untamable force, what James is saying here is that it reveals deep down inside all of us, what it reveals is, is that we are hypocrites. We are hypocrites. We are a double-minded people. Our hearts are divided with the very same tongue With the very same tongue, we praise God on a Sunday morning, but that afternoon we go out and we share a little bit of gossip with a friend. With the very same tongue, we wake up in the morning and we plead with God, would you bless my day? Would you show me favor? And then we go into work and we belittle that coworker behind their back or we tear them down in a meeting. Out of our mouth comes blessing and cursing and James is like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is broken, friends. It's broken. It's unnatural. It's unnatural. Do we see this anywhere else in the world? Do do you go to a spring and see fresh water and and, and salt water come from the same spring? Do you you go to a tree and, and, and see on an olive tree figs and on a vine, do you see, I mean, like, James is like, no. You don't see it. And so he says, why then as followers of Jesus Christ do we see come out of our mouths blessings and cursings? This is not the way it should be. And that's it. That's all James gives us. He says our words are powerful, our words are potentially destructive, and our words are untamable. He doesn't continue on and there's no follow-up. There's no like five ways to tame your tongue, you know. (laughs) The very next verse, verse 13, he is on to a different topic, on to a different subject. He just kind of leaves us with this tension. And so we just kind of sit with it right now and we just feel kind of stuck. 
Like, what, what do we do next? And we feel this weight and this obligation as followers of Jesus to be able to tame our tongue and use it for good and for, for blessing and, and building others up. And yet we see here in James, it's like, well, no one can tame it. And, and it, there, it just seems to be this impossibility. So what do we do with this? What's the answer? Do we just throw up our hands and give up? Look again at the first half of verse eight. James writes this. James writes, no human being can subdue the tongue. And so do you see that there though? James says this. He says, no human being, no human being can subdue the tongue. Listen to this. You can't tame your tongue, but the one who made it can. You can't tame your tongue, but the one who made it can. Listen, our words ultimately aren't untamable. They're just untamable in our own power. We, we, we can't do it on our own. We can't get it under control. But listen, as followers of Jesus, for those of us who find ourselves in Christ, you are not alone. You are not on your own. As ones who have the spirit of God within us, we have a power in us that is greater than our own strength. Jesus said in John 6, he said the spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. That's what he said. Like Jesus didn't mince any words there. The word that Jesus uses for human nature is this Greek word sarkos, which means flesh. And it's this idea of our own strength. And Jesus didn't say, like, like your own strength, like it gets you a, a certain distance and, and then like, you know, the spirit will come in and nudge it a little bit more and then you work a little bit harder. He just said like, no, on its own, it can't do anything. It is powerless. And so when we face this difficult, seemingly impossible task of growing in Christ's likeness, especially with respect to our words, we all need Jesus' help. We need his help. It's like Princess Leia said, he is our only hope. He, Jesus is our only hope in this matter. He's our only hope, because listen to this. The only way to really change our words is to see our hearts change. That's the only, didn't Jesus also say in Matthew, didn't he say this? What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. Listen, the things that come out of the mouth come from where? The heart. The things that come out of our mouths come from our hearts, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart, Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Ultimately, our word problem is a heart problem. And like the tongue, the only person who can change the heart is the one who made it. That's the only person who can do it. And so while we might listen, while we might hurt other people and tear other people down with our words, with those very same words, we can cry out to Jesus and we can ask him and place our trust in him and seek him to help renew our hearts. With those very same words, we can trust Jesus with this matter. And we can trust Jesus. Jesus is trustworthy because he never said a wrong word to anyone. He never spoke a wrong word to any person. In fact, he's the only human being to ever walk this earth who ever tamed his tongue. 
And yet even still, he suffered on our behalf and he suffered for all of our wrong words, every wrong thing, every lie, every piece of gossip, every cutting remark. Jesus took those upon himself and he suffered in our place, taking those things on the cross. And as physically awful as his death was, what was even more excruciating for Jesus was the separation he experienced from his father. But the beautiful thing about that selfless sacrifice in that moment is that Jesus was separated from his father and his father didn't speak to him in that moment so that we would be able to freely speak to our father in heaven. Jesus did that for us. And while we might not seem to get our words under control here, and maybe this morning we're we're feeling like a, a level of guilt and shame over some cutting remark we said over the last couple of days, maybe it was even this morning, maybe a deceptive thing we said, maybe a word slipped through and then we regretted saying that thing to a coworker, whatever it might be, and we come here this morning and we just feel this weight and this guilt and this condemnation that our words pile up against us. Would you know and understand that Jesus speaks a better word over you? He speaks a better word over you and that word is this, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Our tongue is a restless evil. But we find forgiveness for the wrong things we say in the work of Jesus Christ. And there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And not only is there no condemnation, there is now a new beginning. There is a new beginning for those that are found in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't just die, he rose again. And by rising again, he extinguishes the flame of Satan that has lit so many of our tongues for so long and he ignites it with a new fire, a fire from above. A fire that propels us and empowers us to speak words of beauty and peace and goodness to build others up. That's what Jesus does for us. And again, all he calls us to do is to run to him again and again, day after day, throwing ourselves at the feet of his cross, asking asking him to renew our hearts, to renew our hearts. Because until our hearts are renewed, we have no hope with our mouth, with our words. There's no hope. And so as we go about the rest of our day today, the rest of our week, as we're driving to work tomorrow morning, as we're taking the kids to school, as we're preparing for a meeting, in those moments, in those small quiet moments, would we ask him to control our tongue, to change our hearts, to shape our words, so that instead of using our tongue and our words as this destructive force to tear others down, he would use it and redeem it to build others up, to bring peace and shalom to his broken, hurting, healing world. We have the power to do that through his spirit. The only question left is this, will we let him? Will you let him? Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you. We thank you for your kindness toward us. We thank you, Lord, that your son never spoke a wrong word to anyone. We thank you that that he tamed his tongue in our place and now empowers us to go and do the same. Lord, it's sobering to be confronted with the reality of our words and our speech. And I know that there are many here today that feel the weight of the words that they've carelessly said to others. I know I feel that weight right now. 
and I feel the weight of my own words and how they can be used to cut down and tear down. And so Lord, we just ask as, as a community, would you forgive us for the wrong things that we've said? Would you forgive us for the ways that we've torn others down and hurt others? And would you, would you change our hearts so that out from our mouths would come only praises to you, building others up, Would the words that that pour forth from our mouth this afternoon, this week, would they be words of life? Would they be words of peace? Would we sow shalom everywhere we go, God? And and would would we see just your goodness come from that? Even when we encounter someone, Lord, who is, is, is an enemy, someone who has hurt us, Lord, would you empower us to speak truth, truth and love, kindness, Father? Well, we can't do this without you. That's the simple reality. We can't do this without you, Lord. And so as we sing this next song, God, I pray that we would just, again, renew our hearts, renew our commitment, God. Would we humble ourselves before you again and ask for your help? Because without it, there's nothing that we can do. So we entrust all of this to you, Jesus, in your powerful name. Amen.